guys have it, but that's where we are. Uh, there's a couple of matters of housekeeping that I wanted to do really quickly before we jump in. But uh, if you're not sure, you've got a, uh, one of these paper Bibles, which I'm fond of. Uh, if you go to Matthew and turn back a couple of books, Matthew, Malachi, Zechariah, you'll land in Haggai. So that's the easiest way to find it. Or you can just turn to page 979. You'll be good to go. Uh, there are a few things. So first, Last month, October, was Pastor Appreciation Month, and oh my goodness, you guys, you were so kind, so generous, so many notes and encouragements and texts and offers to babysit, date nights, things like that, which uh, we're kind of in the blue-collar season of parenting where the kids are a little smaller, they take a lot more attention, and so offers to say, bring them to us, go have some time together, super appreciated. So thank you guys so much. On behalf of the pastors, we really feel appreciate it. Um, then uh, some of you guys just got back from Rock Hill with uh, another pillar church called Pioneer Church, where Trell Ross is the pastor. They've inherited a building that is kind of a mess, and so we sent a group there to serve them by doing some hands-on uh, construction work and cleaning and preparation. So thank you all who went to go and to serve. We're going to talk a little bit more about that tonight, which is the third matter of housekeeping tonight. So first Sunday of November, we'll have our family meeting. At the family meeting, we're going to talk about uh, our one mission offering, uh, which Pastor Robert is one of the faces in our one mission book. If you don't have one of these, make sure you get one before you leave, because I want you to be uh, familiar with the names and faces of stories of the people that we support so that you will pray for them as friends. It was fun flipping through this book to find that uh, Carla and I, over the years in, our, in this church, have been in small group with five of the people who are in this book. So it's awesome to see people who we know and love sent to the nation. So get this, get to know these folks if you don't already, at least from a distance. So when you see their name come up, you know exactly what we're talking about, who we're praying for. We're also gonna talk about our plan for moving to two services in the new year. So hopefully you have found Haggai again. If you haven't, Matthew, Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai. All right, it's like a sobriety test, say the alphabet backwards. If you can do the books of the Bible from Revelation to Genesis, that's something. So have you ever had a day where you work and you work and you work and you think of others and you do everything that you can, but it seems like nothing that you did mattered? Where instead of a green thumb that everything you touch flourishes and thrives, you somehow woke up with a black thumb and everything that you touch turns to dust. The car won't start, the kids won't listen, the work project gets so far behind that there's no way that you're gonna be able to finish it, probably gonna fail. Maybe you even tried really hard to serve somebody. You reached out, you did something for your, uh, your spouse, your friends, somebody that you work with, uh, but it turns out that your, your efforts were wasted because they didn't notice or didn't want whatever it was that you did for them. Have you ever had one of those days, or maybe weeks, or months? You know, some people here may feel like they have been living one of those lives, where nothing seems to matter. There's no purpose. You work for no return. You eat, but you're never full. You long for a life in full color, meaning, purpose, something to do that matters, but just have the monochrome of apathy. And so what's our defense? Our natural defense is, let's, let's build nicer houses. Let's buy better cars. Let's post about all of it on social media. 
make sure that everybody kind of knows that, that my success is happening, I'm building my kingdom, because that's sure to inject meaning into my life, right? That's, that's the path, okay? But if, if you're struggling in this way, then Haggai's message to the Jewish people has some really important principles that we can begin to examine as we walk through these three weeks in the book. You may have noticed as you were flipping there that it fills up all of two pages in your Bible, maybe one and a half. So it's not a long, uh, long letter, long prophecy. But some of the, uh, the principles that are here uh, can impact the rest of life. Okay, so we're rolling into the holiday season, right? What's coming up next? Thanksgiving. We could skip it for Christmas. That would be fine with me. I'm on the Hobby Lobby Christmas schedule. We could put up the Christmas tree October 1st, and I would be totally happy with that. Start playing the songs, all of it. I'm there, okay? Uh, but this is supposed to be the time where we're practicing gratitude, where we're spending time with people who matter, doing things that matter, making memories, and uh, putting all those things together. But if we're not careful about how we live, what we value, how we think, we're likely to turn it into the same dull, painful life that we just asked about. So what's Haggai have to say to us on this? So let's get a little bit of background of where we are. I'm going to wager that you haven't just been flipping through the Bible and stopped in Haggai and uh, got a good dose of uh, prophecy recently. It's one of the minor prophets, which basically just means they're real short books. So there's a bunch of little minor prophet books. It falls uh, in the middle of the story that's described in Ezra. Okay, so Haggai prophesies uh, in 520 BC, really long time ago, during the reign of the Persian king Darius. Uh, the Persians come onto the scene after the Babylonians kind of fall off the map. So the people of Israel, uh, by God's work, have been exiled, taken away to Babylon, some 900 miles away, and what on the map now would be Iraq. And uh, there's a drama that starts to unfold as the Persians take over. Ezra uh, is the cupbearer to the king, and he comes into the king's presence, crestfallen, downtrodden, and he says, what's the matter? You're healthy. Why are you looking so upset to be serving me? Which, you know, could be a uh, fireable offense. And in those days, a fireable offense was more of like an off with your head, not a get a new job. So he's really nervous about that. He asks to go back to the land, and God blesses that, sends them back. So 538-ish BC, they are traveling back. They arrive in the land 536. Some 50,000-ish uh, people who, who come back as the remnant that God preserved through the exile, which was 70 years in Babylon. And uh, they start working on the temple, which was their mission. They're going back to Jerusalem, their job, their charter, rebuild the temple, reinstitute temple worship to the God of Abraham. And uh, they get there, 536, they get to work. Zerubbabel, uh, the, the governor in the line of David, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and Ezra, they collect a lot of resources on the way, they get started, they lay the foundations of the temple. In uh, 536, it got mixed reviews on Yelp, the, uh, the elders who could remember Solomon's temple looked at it and wept. They, they couldn't believe how far they had fallen. And those who had grown up in exile came back and their shouts of joy because they can't believe 
the blessing that they have to be able to rebuild the temple and to return to the land and to come out of exile back to where they belong. So now, 16 years later, 520 BC, the project has been sitting for 16 years. No work has been done on the temple. And God calls Haggai to say something to the people about it. So let's, let's read verses 1 through 11 in chapter 1, and then we'll see what it has for us this morning. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, you might say the Lord of armies in your translation. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, or you might see, think carefully about your ways, or more literally, place your heart on your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce, and I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the, the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Let's pray together as we step into this passage. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning as we examine the book of Haggai, this first little bit, that your spirit would illuminate it for us, that we would uh, see what you have for us, both corporately and individually, and that uh, you would help us to align our lives with your purpose, your mission in the world, and that you'd give us the grace to see where we are missing it. And Jesus, I pray, amen. So this sounds exactly like the meaningless, depressing, frustrating life that I asked you about in the introduction. Nothing will satisfy. When you have plenty, it's not enough. When you don't, the work that you do seems to come to nothing. You just can't move the needle. And so the, the Jewish people, the, the remnant who have come back to the land, aren't getting the point. The, these are the curses. So if you look back to Deuteronomy, you see in chapter 28, God says, if you obey in the land, you do what I've commanded you to do, I'm going to bless you. You're going to have plenty. You're going to live in the land. You're going to have kids. Everything is going to go well for you. If, on the other hand, you don't. If you trade worship of me for worship of idols, if you trade justice, taking care of the downtrodden and the weak and the defenseless for injustice, profiting off of them, smashing them, 
then I'm going to curse you. And there's a list of these curses in Deuteronomy 28. Even though the circumstances of the remnant is going from bad to worse, they keep working on their own homes, their own kingdoms, and they neglect their mission to rebuild the temple. So God mercifully sends Haggai to get their attention. He, uh, he says, uh, he sends Haggai to interpret these circumstances so they can understand what's going on. He points out their emptiness and explains why they're struggling in spite of God's tremendous blessing of returning them to the land as a people intact. Should not have happened. So what's the, the big problem? Because prophets always arrive on the scene when there's an issue. Right? Prophets show up when there is sin to be called out, when the people are straying and they need to be brought back to God. So what's the problem? The people have been building their own homes instead of building God's house. They've collected the blessings God has provided for them. If you go back and read in Ezra, it's pretty tremendous what has happened to get them to the point where they are. And instead of using them to bless the nations, to rebuild, the, to rebuild God's house, to glorify him in front of the nations, they kept it for themselves. So rather than being a conduit of God's blessing, they've become a reservoir. And so why is that such a big deal that God judges them by making everything that they do come to naught? Well, I think you've got to ask a couple of other questions. Who are the people of God and what is their purpose? Why did God set a people apart to begin with? What's to become or to be a light to the nations? That they would be a people who worship God rightly, who have their lives organized according to God's purposes and mission in the world, that they would thrive in the land by loving and serving God in the ways that he has described, and that they would be a shining example of his faithfulness and loving kindness to build up his name in all the earth. The folks who are there know that that's their job. Zerubbabel is in the line of David. Ezra, you, you see, is known as an expert in the law. He knows God's ways. Joshua, the high priest, the leaders know that they should be busy about the work of the Lord, and yet they kind of let the, the temple work stall out. And so where are these people, the, the Jewish people who've come back 900 miles from exile, supposed to center their work of magnifying God's glory to the nations. In their day, it's in the temple. Where did God choose to make his home among the people? In the temple. And what was the mission that they were tasked with when they returned against all odds from exile? Go back and rebuild the temple. And so if we, if we think about the situation that those people have been in, they've, they've either lived their entire lives longing to return to Israel, wanting to see Jerusalem again, lamenting that they may never see it again, or they were born into the exile, hearing stories about the glories of Zion, of the Lord's holy city. They've been enslaved, they've been enslaved scattered by ruthless enemies, and you read about the Babylonians, the Assyrians, none of it's good news, whether you read it in scripture or you read secular histories of the people. They're, they're brutal people. And they were dispersed among the empire as a strategy to get rid of their peoplehood, their, their national identity, and assimilate them into the empire. So the idea is, if you scatter them far enough, then there's no way that they can ever get back together and be a problem again. They're just going to become Babylonians or later 
Persians as things move, which is totally counter to the purpose of God for calling a people and gathering them to worship himself. And so God, because of his great love and mercy, and according to his promise to bring them back after their time in exile, does just that. He uh, gathers them, he gives the kings of Persia goodwill towards them, and sends them back to the land as a people intact, which should not have been possible. So now a remnant has returned, should never have happened, to rebuild the cultural and religious center of their entire universe, the temple of God. So do you see why this is such a big problem now? God chose a people. He blessed them relentlessly. He protected them, provided for them. He gave them meaning and purpose and value. He lived among them. He gave them the law so that they could have a right relationship with him. And now, after being returned from exile, which they went because they were rejecting God to begin with, they've begun to do it again. When you read Ezra, you can see that it's, it's more than just rebuilding or not rebuilding the temple, but other practices, other laws begin to be broken. Things are steering in a bad direction, and leaving God's house in ruins is kind of a symbol of their broken relationship. So what, what did the people do? As they were there, as soon as they arrived, we, we collect the stuff, we get our resources together, start rebuilding. We lay the foundations. And again, not uh, you know, mixed reviews on how that's taken, but they stopped. At the time of Haggai's prophecy, it's been 16 years since the work began. They seem to have plenty of time to adorn their own homes in the way that 1 Kings says Solomon built the temple with wood paneling and all these things. Uh, you see in Ezra, they may even have taken the paneling and the wood that was intended for the temple that they traded for from Lebanon to be shipped in to rebuild their own homes. So they're, they're taking all this blessing of God and hoarding it for themselves as the temple lies in ruins while they rebuild their lives. And so why do you think that they did that? Why did they spend 16 years on their own kingdoms instead of completing their mission to rebuild the house of God? There's probably two reasons. One is, is really clear and practical when you read Ezra. There was a lot of opposition to the work. There were uh, rulers in the land who didn't like the idea of rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. And uh, they had been known, not just to God, who describes them often as a stiff-necked and hard people, but to the people around them, they were known as a stiff-necked and hard people. So they're like, we don't want these people gathering, building walls, having a city to themselves, because they're just going to become a problem for us again. So they file lawsuits. They set a, a court injunction with the, the kings in Persia to say, you can't let them do this. This, is, this has got to be against the law. They're going to be a problem for you if you allow this to happen. And you see a bunch of uh, legal proceedings where uh, people have to go back and say, well, what did Cyrus say? What did Darius say? Okay, well, they said it was fine, so we got to go with the precedent of the legal system. Read Ezra and Nehemiah for the backstory there. And on the other hand, as they arrive in the land, they've been intimidated, uh, they've been afraid. I wonder if, if one of the reasons why they built their own homes instead of God's house is because they're regular people just like us. That lots of us, can look back on the last 16 years of life and say, man, I wish I had managed things a little bit differently. That, that I wish I had been a little more faithful 
were a lot more faithful to the Lord. I wish that I'd been more grateful for blessings. I wish that I had stewarded them better. In that time, maybe I had just tremendous success in work. Maybe I built a house. Maybe I got married, built homes, bought cars. But I felt like none of it was enough, or maybe none of it really mattered that much. Just like the people in Jerusalem, it's all empty and vain without God bringing the increase and giving it meaning. And and like Henry David Thoreau said, while we're busy living lives of, of quiet desperation, we busy ourselves with worry. We worry about what we'll eat. We worry about what we'll wear. We worry about where we will live. These days, we worry about if we will live. And we busy ourselves by storing up treasures here, holding on to God's blessings, because maybe there'll be a shield to keep away the uh, hard times, maybe even I can put off death if I can put enough together. I can build up enough of a life. I can avoid these things that are, are looming. And we do all that because at the root, as we kind of dig down to the, the foundation, is because we believe, we think, we're kind of the most important things in the universe. So all the work that I can do to preserve the most important thing in the universe is the right thing to do. Right? I'm going to invest in the most important things. Us being here is, therefore, the most important thing that we can do, which is why we get called a lot through the scriptures to remember, not to figure out. Remember who is the most important. Remember what he has done. Remember the work that God's done on our behalf. So at the foundation, that means rather than having a a worry problem, maybe we have a worship problem. And so worship is central to all of life, Everything that you do, see, touch, anything that you experience, worship is central to all of life, and it's unavoidable. We all have this this religious instinct, a God-shaped whole, a knowledge that there is something, someone greater than us, and everything that you see, do, experience is meant to point you to God, who alone can bear the weight of all of that life. Whether it is the sun, the moon, the stars, the colors of fall, you guys, I hope that you've been enjoying the, the change. This year, it's been tremendous. Some years, the leaves just fall off, but just the, the artwork of creation. A new baby cooing, a cancer diagnosis, a job lost, a car that won't start, a new exciting opportunity abroad, all of those are waves meant to push us to the rock of Christ. But when you have a worship problem, all of that starts to point back to you. At first, that can be fun. The Israelite remnant had a worship problem. Instead of rebuilding the house of worship, they rebuilt their homes. They built them nice. They took the wood paneling. They, they put things together. They made sure that they were living in comfort to the best of their abilities, which is a win, right? But instead of following God's law and reestablishing their role as a lighthouse to the nations. They neglected the temple. They broke God's law. And almost as soon as they returned to the land, they were surrounded by enemies who wanted to throw them back off of it. So when you make yourself the center of the universe, you had, be, you had better be ready to hold it all together yourself. There's nobody but God who's equal to that task. Mercifully, in our story, God gave Haggai a message for the people to snap them out of the haze of their workaday, inward-facing lives, to draw their attention up from the meaningless and anxiety-producing and worrisome 
and into eternal purpose, to keep them from being cursed again as their disobedience went unchecked. It's kind of, if you're a parent or you've been around this, you know, the, uh, the heed the verbal warning so that we don't have to escalate the discipline. If you just say, hey, stop what you're doing, and you go, oh, I've been going astray. Okay, I'm going to listen. Done. Discipline's over. It happens every time, just like that, right? Everybody listens to the verbal warning first. Not in our case here, right? Everything's been going wrong, and then Haggai has to come and interpret that for the people of Israel. <clears throat> so he says to them, uh, and what we're going to kind of think on today is, is how we can consider our ways. He says to them, consider your ways. Two times, verses five and seven. When you're reading your Bible, when you come back to Haggai later uh, and are, are kind of working through this, when you see repetition, that's a good place to drill down. So anytime you're reading the scriptures and you see a thing repeated over and over again, even if it's twice, twice sometimes is enough to say, oh, there's something here. Highlighter, lights blinking. I want to pay attention to what's going on. So we're going to dig down on that today. There are uh, four ways today I'm going to encourage you to consider your ways. Some of this is going to be, well, all of it's going to be homework. I want you to take it home with you and kind of think through these things. But as we're working through it this morning, pay attention to what the Spirit uh, brings to you. So number one, whenever there is a prophet coming, there is sin to be dealt with. So this is a general call to repent, the book of Haggai, a general call to repent. So first, I want to prepare my heart, prepare your heart. I'm going to ask, what sins, of what sins do I need to repent? So the, the call to consider your ways is a call to repentance. God says to the Jewish remnant in Haggai, I've been working to get your attention. Don't you notice the futility of your life? Don't you wonder why everything you touch turns to dust? And what, is, what does God say? Because I did it. You brought all this stuff into your homes, and what did I do? I blew it away. I made sure that you would know that you don't have what you need. And why? Why did I do it? Because you've sinned. Because you've skipped out on the mission that I gave you. Consider your ways. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Is this the future you want? Here's your chance to acknowledge your sin, call it sin, and turn back to me with faithful action, which is all that repentance is. Acknowledge your sin, call it sin, turn back to God with faithful action. So let's, let's dig into three more ways, more specific ways that we can do that. Two, prioritize the right things. Prioritize the right things. In verse two, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. In seventh grade, I had a science teacher. Her name was Miss Daco. We called her Wacko Daco. And, and she was. It was a good, good moniker. But she, uh, almost every day in class, would just shake her head at something some middle schooler had done, which I understand now on the other side of things. And she would just say, some people's kids. You've probably heard me say that. And if so, it's because 24 years ago, I had Miss Daco for, uh, for science in, in seventh grade. But that's what this has the feel of. You know, these people, you just kind of shake your head. Are you putting off what you need to do now for other things? Are you carefully thinking about what you will do and why, how you can uh, step into the mission of God? Paul in Ephesians says, man, this is, this is still a pressing matter in Ephesians 5. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, 
not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So if the time has not yet come for obedience, when will it? Today is the day of repentance. Today is the day of good stewardship, of faithful living. It's all we have. We plan for the future. We want to do the right thing, but maybe a little bit later. James warns us that putting our hope in our plans is foolishness, here today, gone tomorrow, right? Were it not for Haggai's call, these people could have entirely missed the work that God had called them to accomplish in Jerusalem for his name's sake. They could have completely wasted the tremendous blessing that God had given them. So be wise, fear the Lord, set your life in order now so that you can take advantage of the gifts God has given you to advance the kingdom and accomplish his work. Okay? So prepare your heart, prioritize the right things, and then put things in order. Okay, you can ask yourself, am, am I properly grateful for and faithfully stewarding God's blessings. In verse 4, verse 9, he calls them both times. Is it, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house, while the temple lies in ruins? Verse 9, because my house lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. So I could ask myself, am I using the gifts, talents, and resources that God has given me to bless others and build up the body or am I keeping them to myself to build up my own house? We might hold on to the resources that God has given us because we fear the unknown, because we want to be prepared. And there's, there's some diligence and some intelligence in, in planning and working and looking to the ant, as the proverb writer would say. But we, uh, we might hold on because of Fear. We might hold on because we want to be known as successful, well-to-do. We might just enjoy the rich blessings that what God has provided us will give us in the day-to-day. But you got to remember, as we said before, when I become the center of the universe, I better be prepared to hold it all together myself. So as my attempts to secure my fate grow, so does my fear that it could all come crashing down. So as I hold on to the blessings that God has given me with white knuckles, people who he meant to see blessed by those resources could be missing those resources. My kingdom is much too small for me to inhabit with any kind of meaning and happiness, which, forgive the phrase, but results in in kind of a metaphysical claustrophobia, meaning my existence just it always feels like the space I'm in is not big enough, that I, I need to take up more and more. I need to be known more and more. I need to have more and more. And that as I grow, if all of my life is inwardly focused, it can never satisfy. It can never be enough. It just feels like the world is not enough. But when, when I look up and out instead of down and in, the glory of God is all-encompassing. It draws me into something that matters, that can actually carry the weight of life, the burden of existence. So when I'm properly oriented, when I turn my eyes instead of down and in to up and out, then I can plan to do good. I can plan to do good. 
And so the question is, do you know what you should be doing? Verse 8, in this case, he says specifically, here's your work. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that after God has blessed us so richly in calling us to salvation through faith because of his love, because of his mercy, because he has sat us at his right hand, he's prepared good works for us to do. He's given us a job. At Christ Fellowship, we, we kind of formed our mission statement that you hear every week because we always want you to remember it. What's our mission statement? That we exist to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches so that Jesus is known and worshiped first here in Greenville in the upstate and then on to the ends of the earth. And then we have put our value statement, our family values together to help us move into those, uh, those roles, to do good. So that, that's part of the reason why we're planning to move to two services in the new year, that if we're planning for the success of multiplying disciples, well then, where are they going to go? This is, a, this is a light Sunday, and there might be one or two seats available between you as, as people come in. And when we're all standing to sing, somebody comes in, doesn't know anybody or where to be, it looks pretty jam-packed. So we're going to talk a lot more about that tonight. So plan to be here if you'd like to hear the details. We want to invite everybody to come and hear those and find out how you can connect and serve as we do that. Uh, we, we also have the, the family values, which if you walked up here through the hallway, there's a sign listing them. We could put them out more and better, I think, and I hope we will. So our family values say we pursue Christ, we live connected, we serve joyfully, we give generously, we share good news, we love our neighbors, and we do hard things. So when we pursue Christ, 1 Peter 2 tells us, kind of this temple language, that we're corporately building up the body as living stones around the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, who holds it all together. And to build up the body, we have to obey the one another commands of the Bible. So to do that, we have to live connected. And we connect on Sundays and in small groups and aspire groups and caring for family, meal, family meals to be able to do all those things. We need people to serve joyfully, to support the work of ministry, both in our congregation and to the nations, we need people to give generously from the big blessings that God has given us for the work of his kingdom. To multiply disciples, we must love our neighbors enough to share good news. And all of this is tough. It all takes risk. It all requires faith. So we commit together to do hard things. And so as we step into the holiday season, I want to invite you guys to take a few steps deeper into the life of the church. It is a, it's a, it's, it's a tremendous blessing. It's an unbelievable blessing to live in a time and a place where we can do what we're doing right now without any, any trouble, that Sunday after Sunday we get to come and sing together and hear the word taught and encourage one another before and after the services and come to core classes and learn and be equipped. It's an easy time of year right now to Kind of take a couple steps back, rest, get busy with all the holiday plans and arrangements, and then, you know, kind of promise to ourselves to reconnect with the body when things slow down. I don't know if you guys have the yes theory of scheduling that I do, that you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, you want to do something in February? Love to. Life's definitely going to be slower then, is it? Yeah, no, you know, it's not. It never is, right? If anything, 
there's more going on. So you say, oh man, I said yes to that win. So it's never gonna slow down. So we have to invest in the most important things. As we work to multiply disciples, we need to build one another up. Getting into small groups to help us to identify and to repent of sin, to encourage one another to good works and faithful stewardship of the blessings God has. You just can't do that stuff at home apart from the local church. Okay, if you've been sitting on the sidelines, either attending but not membering, but you kind of don't have a reason not to take a step forward, or if you've been a member kind of sitting on the fringes, I want to invite you into that. This afternoon, there's a, a connections class that he will be teaching that you can, uh, if you're an attender, kind of learn about what it means to be a part of our mission to multiply disciples, to plant churches, to do all the, the things that, that we hold as most important work for our body. And uh, as if you've not been already, step into a small group, bear one another's burdens, thus fulfill the law of Christ, right? Find ways that you can, through prayer and tangible care, take care of the people in the church. Join a core class that, so that you can be equipped both to know the word, the, the theology that surrounds it and how that helps us to organize and understand life in light of the things that are going on in the world now, serve in kids' ministry, and you have an opportunity both to evangelize the biggest pool of unbelievers in our church and to disciple the young believers who are looking to grow in their faith. And so this afternoon, as you're heading home, going to lunch, whatever you're doing, take some time to consider your ways. Repent of the sin that the Spirit brings to your awareness. I can tell you for sure, the prayer that always gets answered immediately is, what am I doing right now that's wrong? or stupid, and that I should stop to be more faithful. Those things come readily when we ask the Spirit for them, so be prepared for that. Thank God for his loving kindness. Think on how you can steward the time, gifts, resources that he's blessed you with for kingdom work, and plan to do good so that you can make the most of this season. Okay, let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much for the timely warning from Haggai, both for the people of God in 520 BC, that they would re-engage with the mission that you have given them, and also for the people of God in 2021 here, that uh, we would take a moment to take stock, that you have blessed us, I mean, in, in ways that it's, it's almost silly to think about, that, that it is hard to understand how good we have it, and it's all, you're, you're the giver of good gifts. And so Lord, this morning, as we think about those times and talents and gifts and resources that you've blessed us with. May we be conduits. May we be a lighthouse to the nations. May we be looking for ways to give and to go rather than to look down and in and to make our own kingdoms uh, the greatest, God, because we know that will always be suffocating. Uh, but there is life to be found in you. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to live into the mission that you've set before us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.